Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you who may not have been here for a week or two or are visiting, we are continuing on a sermon series through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and we've arrived at chapter 4. And let me just warn you, before we get into this sermon, you're ready for taking a ride, okay? This sermon's going to take you on a bit of a ride, and some of you may even raise your eyebrows a little bit at some of the things I say. But you need to give it a hearing. You need to listen. Because what I'm going to say today is, is very, very important. And we start off, interestingly enough, in chapter 4, verse 1, with the word, finally. Now, let me just say right off the bat, this finally is not what you think it is. It's not finally because it's the end of the letter. And it's certainly not finally because we're at the, the end of the sermon series, Okay. Because really, this finally comes in the middle of the letter, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And the finally, what the finally is really doing, is it's taking what has come thus far. And Paul does the introduction, and he does a prayer, and his greetings, and then he reminds them, reminds them what he said. And then he informs them, tells them what's going on with himself as well as them. And then he begins to instruct them. And so this finally is not so much wrapping the letter up and his final greeting. That comes in chapter 5, verse 23. What it is, is a finally in terms of, now that you've heard all this, my reminding you, my informing you, my instructing you, you need to take this in. You need to apply it. Because the Christian faith is not just theory. It's not just a good idea. It's not just pie in the sky. You know, how many times we think, well, that's, that's okay, you know, for the real saints. But not for us who live in the real world. And so we disregard and we discount. Instead of really hearing what the scripture is saying and applying it. So this finally really is more like a therefore. And he's going to talk after this next week. We're going to talk about how we relate to each other and how we work together. Practically applying. Then he's going to take us to the parousia, the end times and the judgment. And he's going to say, this is how it comes out in judgment as this letter unfolds. But this finally is saying, look, I've given you some information, some instruction, some teaching. Now I want you to apply it. Much like Paul writes his more elaborate letter to the Romans. And Romans 1 through 8, really what he's doing is fleshing out the gospel. And then you get to Romans 12 through 14, and he's applying it to our lives. That's what he's doing here. It's like a teacher 
or a coach or someone who gives you lessons. It's not just for you to have information. It's not even just for you to just practice once. Okay, I practiced that. I got that down. Now I'm ready for the next. Because oftentimes we need to practice something over and over and over again. We need to hear something over and over and over again, don't we? When you are taking lessons, when you are being taught, and if you are a parent, you know how often you repeat yourself, right? Because you want the person to understand, you want them to implement it, and it takes practice to get there, not even just practice. You want them to get better. You want them to grow deeper. And that's why Paul not only writes to them, finally, as if to begin to apply it, he writes the phrase, more and more. Did you catch that? More and more. He says, you're already doing this, I understand that. But I want you to grow more and more, deeper and deeper, so that you really begin to discover this life, and grow in this life, and live this life, not just in theory. You know, when I hear the phrase, more and more, you know where my mind always goes? I got to tell you. The confirmation service. I don't know if that means anything to any of you. But when, for example, Bishop Lawrence comes here and he confirms people and he lays hands on them, and some of you, you have no memory of this, okay? But this is what he says. Defend, O Lord, your servant. Put your name in there. With your heavenly grace. So we begin with the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That he or she may continue yours forever. See, bringing us to heaven, to the parousia, the judgment. And daily increase with your Holy Spirit. Daily. Every day. We're growing in this knowledge and the love of the Lord and being filled with the Spirit every day because we need to. We forget, we leak. So we need to be filled every day. More and more. Until he or she comes to your everlasting kingdom. That's where my mind goes when I hear this phrase more and more. And that's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Look, you've got a good start going here. But more and more. Don't lose sight. You need the cross before you every day. And to be at the foot of the cross. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And we need each other. We need each other. For encouragement, for support, and even for accountability. We need each other. Don't lose sight of that either. And so with that in mind, I want to go to this passage for today and I want to start off with this whole notion of how to live and please God. <clears throat> how to live and please God. How many here have ever been or are still people pleasers? Right? Some of us struggle with being a people pleaser. Oh, you were helping Nathan. This is not about you. Okay. <laughs> Most of us have struggled with 
or we struggle now with this whole notion of people pleasers. But there are different types of people pleasers, right? There's the type that is out there listening to the majority or listening to their peers. And therefore, they buy into what they hear because they want to fit in. They want to fit in with their peers or they want to fit in with the majority. You know what everybody says and everybody believes, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's what we say. Everybody believes it. Everybody does it. That's one type of people pleaser. Another type of people pleaser is the ones who want to be worldly successful. And so we don't want to offend anybody. And so we either keep silent or we buy into what the masses say because after all, we want to please people because it's going to get us ahead. What about the people pleaser who just does not want to offend anybody, right? Who wants to be known as an offensive person? And we don't like to feel rejection. And so we avoid offending people so that we don't face that rejection. So that we can acquiesce and fit in. And oftentimes what happens, we buy in. We may not even know it, but we've bought in. And so we're on this slow slide. And that's what's happening to our culture right now. The slow slide. And then you've got the people pleaser who wants to please everybody. Know what I mean? See, and I sometimes, early in my ministry, I confuse loving and serving people with trying to please everybody. And you know what can happen when you do that? is you can end up either running your family into the ground or running your health into the ground. And that's a dangerous place to be because you so want affirmation and adulation that you run around trying to please everyone. And you can't please everyone. I mean, the one who wrote the garden party is right. You can't please everyone. But you're not here to please yourself either. You're here to please the Lord. And we lose sight of that. Because we hear all these voices in the culture and people around us and our peers and the majority. Or we think we have to run around and please everyone around us instead of, and there's a difference between serving them sacrificially and loving them. There's a difference. And learning that fine line is really important. But we are not here to please everyone. We can't. We're not even meant to. We're meant to please the Lord. And that's what Paul is driving at here. And how do we discover what it is? How we do that? It's the Word of God. That's where we learn to please the Lord. Notice when Jesus is interacting with the people and with the Pharisees. He says, you follow human traditions. See, sometimes you honor these traditions and you lose sight of really pleasing the Lord because you're so locked into the traditions. Whether they be family practices or culture practices. We don't really pay attention that it might not be in the Word of God. You know what I mean? Or we buy into certain ways 
that even the culture has manufactured to make it look like we're being really good people. So Jesus, when he's addressing them, saying, don't get your eyes off of the Lord. Don't buy into human traditions that really don't reflect the will of God. Don't buy into the world's way that really is in the guise of being a good person that's really self-serving. Don't miss it. That really as Christians, we are about pleasing the Lord, loving Him, seeking to be submissive, and honoring Him and honoring other people by loving them God's way. And that's what it means, as Paul unfolds this, to be in the process of sanctification, that we are becoming and being made holy. Now it's interesting, I want you to be clear on this too, not holier than thou. You know what I mean by that? We're not running around trying to look real pious or judging other people, that is not what I'm talking about. You know, it's really funny, when I hear people say something like this, you know, it comes back to me, oh, Greg Kranz is such a good person. That's a nice comment. But I'm not here to be a good person. I'm here to be a godly person. Seeking to become holy, seeking to become pure. And I fall short. I'm trying to reflect his spirit in my life. I'm trying to live his word in my life. And I'm trying to please him and love other people. That's what it means to become holy. And that's the goal of our lives as Christians. And what Paul is saying in this passage, this particular passage, is there's two shortcomings that were widespread in the Roman Empire at this time. And in fact, they had crept into Judaism in different ways. But nonetheless, they existed. The first one was corrupt business practices, where greed and graft were involved. I mean, Jesus refers to, at one point, the money changers at the temple. The people who were supposed to be the most holy, who appeared, you know, the pious, pious the holier-than-thou people. And they were using corrupt practices at the temple. They were scamming people. You know, I never understand that anyway. These internet hackers and people who steal identities and that stuff. You know, they're smart people. Why don't they do honest work? I don't get that. And periodically you'll see an ad on television about people, for example, the elderly, who are being scanned. How sad is that? And those who were running the temple did the same thing. They had a vulnerable people there who were coming to the temple to worship and they scammed them. And Jesus is also talking about these kids who have aging parents and they're basically saying, well, you know, I really can't take care of my parents because I've set this money aside for God's work. What's that about? Because people have these 
pious intentions or protecting their little world and living selfishly. Now we're going to come back to this, but I want to move on to the other one. And this is where it's going to get interesting for you. Sexual and marital infidelity and immorality. You know, notice that Paul throws in the exploitation of people. That's both financially, I might add, as well as sexually. And what we sometimes forget is that during this day, divorce and sexual immorality was rampant. And I'm not just talking amongst the Gentile world, the Roman Empire. I'm talking amongst the Jews too. For example, something that was going on during this time is women were becoming successful in business. And they were basically saying, don't have to put up with him anymore. I'm out of here. And that was happening in that culture. And they were finding excuses for that. And we see the same moral laxity today as we see as we see back then. Because that's what was going on in the Roman Empire. What was going on in the Roman Empire at this time is that sex was no longer a moral decision. It was about my personal choice. It was about my pleasure. Don't confuse the two. And so I could have my relationships with men, women, children, doesn't matter because it's about my pleasure. And that was widespread in the Roman Empire. Let me read to you one example of what I'm talking about. This was from Demosthenes, a Greek, who writes, We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for day-to-day needs of the body. Isn't that cute? We keep wives for the begetting of children and the faithful guardianship of our homes. Don't you feel valued? And that was we. That was widely accepted in the culture. Don't misunderstand. And interestingly enough, Seneca, who was a Roman writes, referring to divorce, marriage and divorce was about caprice. We marry to divorce, and we divorce to marry. In other words, it doesn't matter. Marriage doesn't really mean a whole lot. See, we're sliding into sexual relationships becoming amoral in our culture. Let me read to you from the, The Economist from back in August... And the cover said the sex business. And this, uh, this first article that I'm going to read from is entitled Personal Choice. The Internet is making buying and selling of sex easier and safer. Governments should, should stop trying to ban it. Nimbus make common cause with Puritans. Now notice the language that's going to be used here. Because there's nuances that are going to make it sound negative if you stand against this. Who think that women selling sex are sinners and do-gooders who think they are victims. The reality, see this is reality, okay, is more nuanced. Some prostitutes do indeed suffer from trafficking, exploitation, or violence. 
Their abusers ought to end up in jail for their crimes. But for many, both male and female, sex work is just that, work. Notice the language. It's work. It's amoral. Has nothing to do with whether it's a moral behavior or not. Government should focus on deterring and punishing such crimes and leave consenting adults who wish to buy and sell sex do so safely and privately online. See, this is about your private life. You should be able to do what you want. Is that where we're heading? Now, excuse the language. This is the actual title of the article. More bang for your buck. For those seeking commercial sex in Berlin, Pepper, a new app, makes life easy. Type in a location, and up pops a list of the nearest prostitutes along with pictures, prices, and physical particulars. Pepper can operate openly since prostitution and the advertising of prostitution are both legal in Germany. But even where they are not, the Internet is transforming the sex trade. Now, specialist websites and apps are allowing information to flow between buyer and seller, making it easier to strike mutually satisfactory deals. The sex trade is becoming easier to enter and safer to work in. Even in such places as America, where prostitution and its facilitation are illegal everywhere except Nevada, the marketing and arrangement of commercial sex, catch it, commercial sex. This is okay because it's just business. It's just about money. Nothing personal. Is moving online to get around the laws. See, now what we do is a little bit of lying, a little bit of illegality. You know, it's okay. We can get away with it. Web servers are placed abroad. Site owners and users hide behind pseudonyms and, and prominently place legalese frames, the purpose of sites, as entertainment. After all, we're all about entertainment, aren't we? So we hear Demosthenes between the lines. Now, stay seated. This is entitled The Dutch Pedophile Emancipation Movement. It's a paper that was delivered to the Dutch government. We want to emancipate those who are seeking to be pedophiles. And there is such a movement in Canada and the United States. It's subtle. You don't know about it. It exists in such places as the APA, American Psychological Association. Those discussions are taking place. You want to see where it plays out? Watch Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and you will see people who are quoted as saying, I didn't choose this. I was born this way. Does that sound familiar? See, we change the language and the nuances. And instead of having affairs or committing adultery, we have open marriages. And instead of fornication, we call it living together. And we call it same-sex marriage. And we call it pedophilia, which actually the wording means loving children. Isn't that sweet? 
See, make no mistake about it. What's going on is very nuanced, and the language is chosen carefully. Because what's supposed to happen is we are supposed to slowly buy in and acquiesce and not be as offended as we used to be and not stand for God's word or God's way. That we're no longer trying to please God. We're trying to allow people to do what they want, be how they want to be, and accept it all and not offend anybody. I am not talking about a holier-than-thou attitude. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about a judgmental mentality either. I'm talking about holding up the word of God, living a holy life, and loving others into the kingdom, and be willing to present the gospel so that they are transformed by the cross and moved and changed by the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. And that's what we are called to do as Christians. Because culture will continue to slide unless we make a difference as salt and light in the culture. That's what Jesus is talking about when he stood up to traditions and human ways. That's what Paul is talking about when he writes to the Thessalonians. And you know, if we don't stand for it, what's going on now will continue to get worse and worse, and that is a pornography. Because as we continue to buy and sell sex, that will continue to hit the internet and grow. And human trafficking will continue to grow and grow because there's a demand and because it's only about work and money. It's about me making a living. You want pornography and human trafficking to slow down? You want prostitution to slow down? Then you seek to live a holy life and you seek to proclaim the gospel because that's what's going to change things. So Paul draws this section to a close by saying, whose authority are you going to be under? Are you under human authority trying to please the people around you? Or are you under God's authority? Are you seeking to live according to his will and his way? Because his authority and his way is found in the word of God. And once you reject the word of God, you can rationalize or justify just about everything. Because after all, it all becomes my own personal decision, my own private life. I need to make a living. I need to have pleasure. I need to be entertained so I can justify or rationalize anything. Let me throw one more at you while I'm at it. Why do we have monogamy? I mean, people love to say, well, don't quote the Bible at me. Where do we get the idea of monogamy? It's the creation story. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh, which Jesus affirms in Matthew's gospel. But if sexual fulfillment becomes the new norm, why should I be restricted to having one wife? Sorry, Meredith. In fact, why can't I have two women? And a guy. 
Right? Because after all, if the new norm is sexual fulfillment, hey, I could get more tax breaks that way. Now, I'm being silly here a little bit. But you need to convince me why monogamy if we're dumping the word of God. See, because that's God's idea too. And God's way is the best way for our lives, for our families and for our culture. And that's why we need to submit to his authority. You know, once Satan said to Adam and Eve, you know, if you eat this apple, you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In other words, you become the God of your own life. And that's what everybody wants who is not walking with the Lord. I'm talking to believers today, by the way. Unbelievers will do what they want because they do anyway. I'm talking to people that say they believe in Jesus Christ and want to live that way. And for those of you that may not believe, I pray that you come to that relationship where you know Jesus is your Savior and Lord. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to welcome you. He wants to be your Lord. But we as believers need to live to please Him. Not the world. Him. And come under his authority. You know, it's interesting. After the fall, you need to understand this came after the fall. God already knew what Adam and Eve did. We're told that he walked in the garden looking for them. That's what he does to this day. That's why Jesus came and walked among us. He wants to draw alongside us, hand in hand, walking with him as scripture says, in the cool of the day. Being in fellowship with him because he loves us and he forgives us and he wants a relationship with us. But a real relationship. One that's practical. One that's lived. That we're truly seeking to walk with him and live according to his way and will. We have coaches, we have teachers, we have parents, and we have a God. And just as we need to hear from those around us that are trying to train us up, we need to hear from God every day. Not just what we hear in the world, not just what the media says, not what we hear constantly, everyone believes or everyone does. What does God say about how I should live? And make no mistake about it. We are in a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. The body lives out what the heart believes. And so the battle begins in the heart and God wants your heart and your mind so that you will live his way. It is a spiritual battle. And that's why we need the whole armor of God. 
the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to deal with this challenge that we have. And I invite you to a life where you are seeking to please him and love those around you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, there are so many temptations around us. But the real temptation is to live according to the way we want. Seeking pleasure. Seeking affirmation. Seeking success. Where the material things of this world become an idol. Whether it be money. Where greed takes over. And worldly success. Or whether it be our own personal pleasure. Our sexual fulfillment. That we become the idol. The one we seek to serve. Lord, I pray right now that every eye here would be lifted to you. To your cross. Especially as we come to communion. Where every week we hear the words, do this in remembrance of me. We are reminded of what it cost you to win our salvation. The depth of your love in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord. And as how we eat the bread and drink the wine indicates your spirit filling us so we would be filled with your spirit this day and every day. Seeking to live for you and please you. And seeking to love and serve those around us and reach out with the gospel. So that this world might be transformed. Lord God, let it be so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.